Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, everyone, and welcome to DevRaga Personal Finance, episode 103. And in this episode, we'll be discussing the concepts of points when it comes to the stock market and percentage change and also basis points. It's a relatively short episode, but in the next episode, we'll go into more detail about indices in the stock market and the various ways they are weighted. Now, if you're new to the channel, there are three main aims of this podcast channel. The first one is to be educated about personal finances. I want to make sure that everyone improves their financial literacy. And without education, that provides you with empowerment. That means that you can take the knowledge feel empowered and take it to your professional advisor so you can talk at a level that you can understand in. And the third aim is to be entertained. Now, just a disclaimer, I'm not a financial advisor, I'm not an accountant, I'm not a lawyer, nor am I a financial planner. Make sure you take any financial decisions you want to make to your appropriate advisors before actually implementing them. In other words, don't listen to some random guy ranting on the internet. If you're stuck on what to do, here are some broad principles and simple steps to get you in the right track when it comes to saving, investing, and personal finance in general. In my humble view, there are five easy steps which anybody could follow. Step one is pay yourself first. Take 20% of your after-tax income and put it aside. You are the most important person in your life. That money is never to be seen or never to be touched ever again. Step two, you use your pay yourself money and invest it, ideally into something you understand or want to understand. For me, I understand in index funds and the stock market, so that's where I put my 20%. Step three is reinvest dividends. The power of compounding is phenomenal. Never cash out your dividends. Step four do it for the long term. Now, I'm not talking 5, 10 or 15 years. I'm talking 20, 30 or even 40 plus years. The longer you do it, the better it is. The earlier you start, the better it is. And step five is automate as much as you possibly can. So try and automate your pay yourself money. Try and automate your investments. Try and automate your reinvestment strategy with dividends and make sure you automate it for the long term. If you automate each of these steps, the less chances there are for you to forget or make mistakes and the more chances there are of you actually implementing the plan over the long term. Now, if you just did these five steps, in my humble opinion, you're more likely to have more money than you'll ever need. Remember, money is just a tool and use it as a tool to make your life a little bit better, but most importantly, to make the lives of people around you a lot better. Now, before we get on to the topic, I have a listener question. This question comes from V via Facebook, and it reads, Hi, 
Hi, Dev. I am a physician trainee, and in the last 12 months, I have bought a home in Sydney. But due to training requirements, I will need to relocate for the next couple of years. Does this mean I will be liable for capital gains tax on the sale of this property eventually? Thanks, V, for that question. But to understand this question, we need to break it down into three core components. The first one is, what is capital gains? And therefore, what is capital gains tax? The second one is, when does it apply? And the third one is, when does it not apply? So let's discuss this in detail. So what is capital gains? This is when you buy an asset and it goes up in value. And when it goes up in value, the difference between the value and the cost price is your capital gain. And what is unrealized capital gains is this means you're still the owner of the asset, you haven't sold it yet, and it's still valued at a higher price. You've not realized your capital gains because you haven't sold it. If you don't sell anything, generally speaking, you don't pay any tax on the capital gains. So what is realized capital gains. This is when you sell your asset at a higher value to the purchase price and make a profit. This means you've realized your capital gains. Your capital gains is now your profit. When you sell an asset at a profit, you generally have to pay tax on the profit. Let's use an example to understand this situation. V buys a home in Sydney in 2010 for $500,000. He decides to sell it in 2020 for $1 million. The profit is $500,000. Therefore, the capital gains, which has been realized, is $500,000. If V didn't sell the home, then he still has the capital gains, but it hasn't been realized yet, which means there are no tax consequences. I go into detail about this concept of capital gains and capital losses in episode 64. So if you're interested, go back and listen to that episode. So then what is capital gains tax? This is when you buy something and then sell it at a higher price. You make a profit. You need to pay tax on that profit. And this is called capital gains tax. Even though it's referred to as capital gains tax, it's not a separate tax at all. The profit is added to your assessable income as part of your income tax returns. Now, remember, for overseas listeners in your country, it might be slightly different. This episode relates to the Australian situation. Generally speaking, if an asset was bought before the 20th of September 1985, there are no capital gains taxes applied. So CGT is only applied for assets purchased after this date. So when does capital gains tax not apply? There are some exemptions. So, for example, personal residence. You don't need to pay capital gains tax. A car or a motor vehicle that appreciates in value. You don't need to pay capital gains tax. Depreciating assets such as plants and equipment, obviously, because it doesn't appreciate in value. And some collections and personal use items valued less than $10,000. You don't need to pay capital gains tax. So does V have to pay capital gains tax because they've just bought the home and will need to move as part of their training? Generally speaking, a home is your main residence if you and your family live in it, your personal belongings are in it, your mail is delivered to the address, 
or your electoral roll address is your home. And utilities are also connected to that home. And generally speaking, your main residence should not be producing any accessible income. In other words, you can't rent out any part of your house. So V can legitimately claim main residence exemption for CGT if they're moving for training, but will be coming back to the main residence as part of their living, weekends for example. So there is a clause for this called temporary residence absence rule. Now I suggested to V to go check out with their accountant whether they are eligible for this particular rule. So what is the temporary residence absence rule? You can still treat your home as your main residence for up to six years if it's used to produce an income. You can still treat your home as your main residence indefinitely if it's not used to produce an income. And you can still treat your home as your main residence and that you can't treat any other residence as part of your main residence. So you can't really have two main residences. So for the purposes of V situation, they may qualify for something called a temporary residence absence rule. And I've suggested again that they go check with their accountant. I hope this answer is useful. Now, there are plenty of situations for expats, for example, who leave the country even for a period of time. And in those circumstances, their main residence can still be in their home in Australia, even though they're living outside the country. So it's definitely possible to still avoid paying capital gains tax in certain situations, even if you don't physically live in your property. Now to the main topic. Have you ever wondered what the points mean when they talk about the stock market or even for individual stocks? The day would not be complete without the financial person on the news talking about XYZ stocks or index funds going up up and down a certain number of points. And it just makes you feel good or makes you feel miserable and usually reflects on the money that you've lost or made on that particular day. Now, I don't pay attention to financial media. I don't pay attention to the stock market. I just keep investing. But there are some people who constantly watch the index funds and constantly watch the stock markets to see if they're going up or going down and their stomach literally churns when they lose money. I'm not that person. In fact, when I kind of lose money, Uh, on a day where the stock market crashes, I tend to get happy because it means that when I'm purchasing more index funds, I'm actually purchasing at a cheaper price. So basically, if a stock's value went up by one point, it equates to about a dollar or whatever currency which is part of that country. So when you hear the stock market has gained or lost a certain number of points, it just means the stock has gained or lost a certain number of dollars in their stock price. Although the points equate to dollars, the percentage gain or lost is a totally different concept. So two stocks can gain the same amount of points, but have a very different percentage gains or losses based on the initial stock price. The other thing is points in the stock market is not equivalent and not the same as points in the bond currency or interest rates markets world. That's an important distinction. Today, we're talking mainly about the stock prices and stock markets and using points in relation to that. Furthermore, the point system used for indices is also slightly different, and I'll discuss this in detail further along in the episode. Let's use an example to highlight this concept of points. Amy owns a stock in company ABC. The stock is $10 per share. At the end of the day, the stock has increased to $11 per share. 
This means the stock has risen by one point. This also means the stock has risen by 10%. This does not mean the stock has risen by 10 basis points. I've used three different concepts in this exact same scenario and each of those have a different meaning. So to reiterate, Amy's stock has increased from $10 to $11. This means that the stock price has increased by a point, but the percentage change has been 10% gain, but it doesn't mean that it's increased by 10 basis points. Furthermore, if Amy also owns stock in company XYZ and each stock is worth $104 and it drops to $100, this means the stock has dropped four points and has only declined in 3.8% in its value. So what I'm trying to highlight is that the point system is different to the percentage change system, which is in turn different to the basis point system. So are the points the same as basis points? As I said, no, they're not. They're very different. One basis point is equivalent to one one hundredth of a percent, or 0.01%. Now, if that's expressed as a decimal, it's actually 0.0001. So when something goes up by 50 basis points, it means it has risen by 0.5%. And this is largely to do with bonds and currencies and not individual stocks or even indices. Let's go a bit deeper into this concept called basis points. This is just a unit of measure used in finance to describe the change in the value of the financial instruments or rate of change of an index or benchmark. So let's use an example to highlight the concept of basis points. The RBA, the Reserve Bank of Australia, has meetings monthly to discuss interest rates which affects loans right across the spectrum. This is something most Australians are familiar with, and they tend to meet on the second day of every month, that is the RBA. So when the interest rates go from 0.5% to 0.4%, for example, this means the interest rate has dropped by 10 basis points. Remember, one basis point is 0.01%. Similarly, when discussing bonds and their yields, if the bond currently yields 5.5%, but then increases its yield to 6%, this means the bond yield has risen by 50 basis points. But here's another scenario. Supposing a bond yields 10%. In the news you read that the bond yields have gone up by 5%. You can interpret this in two different ways. The first way is the new bond yield is 15%. This would actually be incorrect. The second way, which is the correct way, is the new bond yield would be 10.5%, which is likely the correct way to interpret it. This is why basis points eliminates the ambiguity and proves its usefulness. So using the same example, the way to report the bond yield changes from 10% to 15%, oh sorry, 10% to 10.5%, would be either an increase of 500 basis points, that is 10% to 15%, or 50 basis points, which is 10% to 10.5%. So using basis points ultimately clarifies very clearly what the exact increase in percentages are. Basis points can be used to describe change in indices as well when it comes to the stock markets. But sometimes you may have noticed in the news they mention that the S&P ASX 200 index rose 150 basis points. Now this is a little bit unusual if they routinely do that. 
Usually they talk about the straight out points or percentage increase, not the basis points. But if they did say it rose 150 basis points, it just means it rose by 1.5%. To be honest, I've mostly seen it referred to by percentage change or actual points change rather than the basis points change. So that's about it for this episode. We've talked about stock market points, stock points, the percentage changes, and basis points. Please make sure you give me a five-star rating on Apple Podcast or any podcasting app you're using. It really does help promote the podcast and the algorithm so more people can download and listen to it. And if you really want, please leave a review too. As promised, reviews will be read in an episode. And in that theme, here is a review I found from Dr. EMS. Dr. EMS writes, Fantastic for improving financial literacy. As someone who works in healthcare as well as it's really great to see and hear that this information from someone who's not employed in the financial field. Easy to understand, interesting and relevant. You know Dr. EMS is right. Doctors often spend years of their time training to be good doctors and they're focused on patient care and during that time sometimes completely forget about their finances. We think, when I say we, that includes me to some extent, We can out-earn our time lost. Guess what? We can't. To become a doctor, it takes about 11 to 15 years of training, sometimes up to 20 years. That is significant opportunity cost. And that's why a lot of doctors, despite earning high incomes, are not very well off financially and have nothing to show for it. So pay attention. Do not take the risk. If you're a non-doctor, this podcast channel is also relevant to you. And next time you visit your doctor, don't judge the entire story by the car they drive. It really doesn't tell the whole story. Remember to like the Devraga Facebook page and shout out to questions and comments and topic suggestions. Share this channel with family, friends and hit that subscribe button, Apple Podcast or Anchor App or CastBox or whatever application that you might be using. And remember, always pay yourself first. Take 20% of your after-tax income and put it aside. That is your money, never to be seen or touched again. And next time you watch the news and they go frantic about the points, the percentages and the basis points, hopefully now you can understand it a little bit better. This is Deb Rugger, Personal Finance, Episode 103. And as always, please make sure you stay safe. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.